1: Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365 day returns.
2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another wonderful episode of Glamour's Hey, It's OK podcast. Today, we have an enormous amount of serious, important and vital life issues to discuss on whether or not they're Hey, It's OK. But thank God we have Douglas Booth here to help us. Today, we are talking online dating. We're talking adulting versus kidulting. And a whole load of other things. I want to welcome today our entertainment editor, Helen Whitaker. Hello. And the wonderfully charming and ridiculously handsome actor, Douglas Booth. Hello.
3: Hello. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Thank you for having me.
2: How? Thank you for being here. I almost cancelled you, though. You know, yesterday I Googled you, as one does in the name of research. Okay. And I discovered that you were born on the day that I arrived in London for the very first time. <laughs> So 24 years ago. uh, I think it's a little bit longer than that, actually. Really? (laughs) 25 coming up. Yeah, aren't we?
3: Yeah, I'm 25 on the 9th of July. Quarter
2: century. How does that feel?
3: Exciting. Should we
2: we have a joint 25th birthday, 25th London anniversary party? I'm up for it. I think we could get a good mix of people there.
3: Yeah, that'd be a good guest list.
2: Yes. Well, especially from you. I'm sort of like just going to piggyback onto your... I don't know context.
3: about that. I've been to the Glamour Awards.
2: <laughs> you have been to the Glamour Awards. You and I think Jamie Campbell Bower are my most favourite, well-behaved guests. We're, just to explain, it's really hard, isn't it, Helen, to get people to sit down. Yes, it's like it is. like Everybody complains if award shows go on too long, but nobody helps you to make the awards show not go on too long by sitting down when you ask them to. Yeah. But I have noticed over the years that you and Jamie Douglas are the ones who do. You always sat down first. So that's because I'm always
3: hungry. I think it's that it's, it's <laughs> always that wanna eat it's the food it's on the that table. Good
2: schoolboy upbringing, isn't well because all the glam yeah. staff
4: are told we have to go and sit down. So we spend a lot of time sitting on tables on our own yeah. looking like looking the really loneliest people. Yeah. And then whenever we see anyone else sit down, we're like, okay everyone's coming now. And you and Jamie come okay. about it. Also Washington. Yep, she was
2: very well behaved as well. Sat down. So those three are always allowed back. Thank you. Are you coming? You'll be on stage, though, won't you? June six.
3: I won't be. I think I'll be. I'll be um, in New Orleans.
2: Oh, but,
3: um, yeah. Good
2: excuse. What are you doing there?
3: I'm filming a movie. I'm not allowed to talk about it yet. Though. Oh man. But, but I'll be in New Orleans eating wonderful american french food um and toasting to the glamour awards that i'll be very sad to miss
2: yes good answer (laughs) so but you are on stage at the moment nightly aren't you yes i am
3: on stage at the moment in speech and debate um a play which is on at the trafalgar studios 2 which is in trug studios which is trug square in the west end um and it's my stage debut so it's extremely exciting what Um, the
2: hell is that like to get on stage for the first time it's like you know it's so different isn't it yeah it's a
3: completely different medium you know acting on film is is a director's and editor's medium you we come in as actors we do our work and then they edit they they edit you and it's sort of on stage you're self-editing yourself so you are um you it's just completely you for the whole hour and a half as the length of our play um but I love it it's 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 you get so much from the audience which is also a challenge at the beginning you have to try and you have you feed off the audience, but you've got to dislocate yourself from them because they act differently every night. And uh, that's it, the thing.
2: How how aware are you of the audience?
3: um In in our play, it's it's Series two it's very small, so it's really intimate. It's about hundred yeah. seats, so we can see everyone in the audience. um So you are very connected to them, and it, it depends. You can sort of really pick up on their mood. So. But I imagine if you're on, if you're at the old Vic or something, you, that you're a bit more disconnected um, because you've got big lights and you can't really see them. But yeah. here we see everyone.
2: But God, what must that be like? If say you, you know, you've practiced, you're a really successful actor. It's your stage debut. It's the West End. It's amazing. And then you spot in the crowd someone your arch nemesis from high school or something like that. How does does anything like that ever happen? Yeah,
3: it definitely does. Um, you, you just have to just crack on. Um,
2: you don't want to do a sort of like st- break character in the middle and do a middle finger sort of like, look at me now. No, yeah. So, yeah. It
3: actually makes me just act better. It makes
2: me, <laughs> <laughs> it means like, well, if like yeah. they're I'm going do to be go even better
3: for, than I was yesterday. A
4: family and friends as well? Because I think it's worse to have people I know watching me do something. Me too. Yeah. I'd rather have loads of strangers. I
3: I don't know. There's something about um, about having people that you love in that, that gives you that extra bit of pep in your step um, and gives you another reason to go at it, hammer and tongs the um, the next night. Because uh, you're doing it over and over and over That's again. You've got to you stay had, motivated.
4: Have you had anyone's phone go off in the theatre yet? Because you walked in here and immediately turned your phone <laughs> onto flight mode, so which was very good of you. He's such a good, polite but boy. I think people don't remember to do that in the theatre.
3: We have had one phone, um, a, a few people eating popcorn, but actually it's such an intimate <laughs> space that you really are just wrapped up in the actions instantaneously. You, I mean, you're only... A meter, two, three, four meters at max away from me. So you, I think you really, you really would turn it off. It, it Watches, depends, actually. That, that beep, yeah. beep that weird watch is the thing that actually happens the most.
2: Really? Yeah, and whatever that is. Speech and debate. It's. Um, I think it depends as well on the play, doesn't it? If you're sort of like going to see some really heavy, sort of like Schindler's Listy thing, yeah. Then you know, really, you need a punch in the face if your phone goes off. But I, I think yours is like a dark, a dark comedy. comedy. Yeah, yes. yeah.
3: So, so our play is extremely funny. It, but it's about kind of some serious issues. It's about three misfit teenagers in Salem, Oregon, who um, bandy together to bring down a, a sexual predator in their in their high school. But no one really takes them seriously until they they speak out with hilarious consequences. And it's, it deals with online privacy, homophobia, um, things that matter to kids like getting the lead in the school play. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's extremely funny, and it kind of like Denise Goff was in uh, on Saturday, and she said she hasn't laughed so much in. Um, in a theatre, in, uh, in in a very long time, which is so.
2: amazing to you know to say that about a a play about sexual predators. Yeah, no, <laughs> so it, it, it's that's amazing. The, that's the thing it's, yeah.
3: it's looking that all of the, those that, that, that plot is sort of window dressing to just looking at yeah. three adolescents in this no man's land that is um, that that space between being a kid and being a grown up and and trying to negotiate what that is while yeah. you're just surrounded by condescending adults that don't quite understand you. Um, so.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm
3: going to
2: try hard not to be one of those condescending adults no. as, my, as my daughter ages, but it's it's hard, isn't it?
3: It is. It, yeah. I suppose it, it is a little hard. But Stephen Karrim, the writer, is writes really intelligently. Like he just won the Tony for The Humans for best new play yes. um, last year, um, and his writing is so witty and and quick and uh, funny, but also um, meaningful and moving at the same time. So it's a really nice package.
2: Are you enjoying your American accent?
3: I really am enjoying (laughs) the American accent. (laughs) I keep hearing it's very on point. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, no, it's fun um, to do a different accent. It's it's just another string to your bow to to take your character one step further away from who you are as a person. So it's an extra tool, as it were.
2: I'm always fascinated, because I think we we all fantasize about such a glamorous career, isn't it? Sort of like acting and making films and being on stage, but I think you've got to be a really special kind of person to be able to push, push aside all that self-consciousness, particularly in front of a live audience. Where do you, where did that come from in you?
3: I'm severely dyslexic. So I struggled with my academic work at school and it just pushed me into more of a creative, um, creative field and made that part of my brain probably grow a bit bigger. And wow, yeah. I just, I, and I just, I felt it's where I felt most confident. Weirdly, being if I could feel like express myself, I could be whoever I wanted to be. You weren't pigeonholed on one thing. You could I wanted to be this person today and this person tomorrow, and uh, it just kind of helps you almost find yourself in, in a weird way. Being able to sort of play these characters and play these roles, and 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 also kind of know that in in your lifetime you you won't have to just settle for one thing. You can you can be a, a thousand different people in one lifetime, which is kind of cool.
2: So that must be that must be so inspiring for other kids who have been dyslexic. Do you do any sort of like work in that area? Do you talk to kids about that sort of thing?
3: I haven't, I haven't done work with dyslexic kids. It's a good idea. I haven't, um, I do, I do. I've done a bunch of other things, but I haven't spoken to dyslexic kids. I'm not sure what, I'm not sure what the platform there is out there. I mean, I've worked with the Prince's Trust who work with sort of disadvantaged children, um, but not dyslexic specifically. Mm. But I think, but even now it's so more, it's so much better known and understood I mean, I think even I was lucky, even when I was a kid, I, I I had I had a great amount of support and I had all these like funky glasses, like pink, I had pink lenses uh, yeah, to try and help me read and, but I think, but back in, you know, my you know uh, in previous generations, I'm, 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 I'm sure my dad was dyslexic and he, people just, they didn't understand what it was, they just thought yeah. you were, you just, your brain thinks in a different way and people didn't really get that then, so... But no, maybe I should think about that, starting some sort of dyslexic charity. But um,
2: yeah. no, It's obviously your destiny to end up where you are. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Well, maybe. And and it's until April 22, the play? No,
3: it's until April 1st. There's only th- oh, my gosh. We're, we're ha- okay, hurry, half, everyone. We're halfway through the run, yeah. yeah. If you, so if you really want to see it... Um, also, if you are a student, there are £10 tickets on... They released some £10 tickets on Thursday matinee. So if you're not an lecture or something, come along. It's um, So I think it's really important to open up theatre to people that couldn't necessarily... See it or afford it or so, um so that's kind of exciting. But we're open to the first of April and I'd love to see you down. It's a really intimate, fun experience, and and, and if I was gonna sum up the play in one word, it would just be joy. You leave smiling.
2: Oh, we could do we with some one. joy. We need yeah. yeah. of that. We're, we're, Helen and I both jumping on the joy there. Yeah. We're there, <laughs> sold. <laughs> So Douglas, have you ever been to the features meeting of any women's magazines before?
3: No, I can't how say how.
2: Weird. Okay, so this is going to this may well be useful to you in your further career. Fantastic. This is what we do. We glamour features meetings always descend into furious debates about anything from serious to really stupid, and that's what we kind of bring to this podcast, so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to talk about online dating and whether or not it is okay to just hate all forms of online dating. Now, I've never done any online dating. I've been married for 3,000 years before computers were invented, let alone television or the internet. So I've never done it and I hate it. Um, So I don't know, what about people who are well into it? Well,
4: I did hate online dating. But I do have online dating to thank
2: for meeting my husband. I was going to say, you met your husband through online dating. Yes, but not not
4: directly. So this is my weird thing. I had done online dating and got fed up with it, hated it. The whole kind of sort of table tennis match of people sending emails, never meeting up with each other or going on dates that felt like job interviews. Mm -hmm. And I was like, done, over it, log off, not interested. Meanwhile, my best friend took a deep breath and thought, I'm going back out there, I'm getting back on the website. And she did, and she met a guy through online dating, and I married his best friend. So if they hadn't met through online dating, I would never have met my husband they're still together as well and have a baby and, and is that your here. best friend that my best friend and his best friend
3: how again. amazing that's what must have really cozy weekends
4: yeah it sort of feels like the kind of thing when you're 12 you're like we'll marry best friends, friends and we'll see <laughs> yeah. each and other you for did it, it. <laughs> and we did so i joke now that i owe her 42 pounds of her membership fee from guardian soulmates because i have that to thank for me and my husband a
2: lot of people have success on guardian soulmates <laughs> <I was gonna laughs> I was say you pretty probably yeah. more
3: success on guardian soulmates than you do on sort of Tinder or
2: I, well it depends what you're after doesn't it it depends yeah. I, from what I understand it's what market you're up for I think Guardian yeah. Soulmates is more I want my soulmate but it is but they none of
4: them watch TV that's the thing that I really had a problem with there's so many people on that website seem to be I want to meet this person I want to partner in crime classic online dating line and <laughs> um, but I, I don't watch much TV, so I, I don't own a TV. And you're like, but you probably own Netflix on your iPad,
2: so... Mm, and yeah. I watch loads of TV. I just want to go back. Right. What is a partner in crime? Have you got a partner in crime?
3: I'm very lucky I can say that I do now. What does it mean? It means that you have a teammate. <laughs> okay. You have someone that you can just What crimes are
2: you committing? Where did yeah. this saying come from? I, I need filthy answers. Filthy crimes. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I think it's meant to be shorthand for sort of japes. You're up for a laugh.
2: Oh, I like a jape. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's,
4: it's, but it's one of those lines that everyone always uses on online dating sites. And plus, everyone always feels the need to justify why they're on there. My life is great and full and happy and I have all this stuff going on, but I'm now looking for a partner
2: in crime. Isn't,
3: wasn't there like a thing about guys just posing with tigers on Tinder? Did you hear about that? It sounds
2: very Russian. Yeah, Like so lots <laughs> yeah. of the, the
3: guys always have the same sort of set of pictures. One's like when they were in Thailand, like posing next to a tiger to show how masculine they were and how they and not scared to be alive standing next to a drugs tiger yeah yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah it's not like they have been on hunting trips no <laughs> okay no
4: that would, that's weird <laughs>
3: um but no i've never i've never been on a, 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 any of those sites because i i just it's a bit difficult i
2: mean look at him Well, he doesn't need to go on any site you you say that you just stick I was, your head out the window
3: you say that i was i was, I was be, I, before I met, I met my girlfriend i i was single for over 2 years it's not it's, you know it's not always as easy as one would Think to meet people, so I I actually think that the dating apps are a really good thing because um, I think that it it, it opens. It's a good way for people to meet people.
4: I I, I I would also say, poor Douglas. I know you're not on any dating yeah. apps, but I absolutely guarantee there's someone out there who has nicked your photo off Google <laughs> well, and is
2: pretending to be yeah. you on a dating I, app. I, I, there is a, there's a fake Tinder profile of me out there. I don't know if it's still there, but I was in San Francisco a couple of years ago and a guy I know just through work emailed me and said, I've just come across you on Tinder. Is there anything I need to know? I don't know whether to swipe right or left. <laughs> I was like, sort of like jet lag haze, went to bed and forgot about it. And then three days I looked and there was, there was a, a Tinder profile with my editor's letter picture. Um, but what do they do is I, well, it I didn't that even know what to do about it it's not me you know I,
4: yeah, I don't know I yeah. think they probably just use it to attract attractive people but, but then what then do they do
3: when they try we, and yeah, get well, them good, send pictures good or? luck
2: with that with my picture I mean really? you know your, your name's out there your face is out there oh my god yeah I mean I, I don't know I just I have very little hope for the person pretending to be me on Tinder but
3: I don't know about that
2: <laughs> bless you but um the only other thing, I really respect people who, and I know somebody who was so downhearted after a breakup and, and uh, went into online dating as a project, like the way that I would maybe take two weeks off and if I needed to buy a house as a project. I was like, I'm going to find that guy who I'm going to marry. And she did do it. And they're very, very happily married. They have two children. I'm really in awe and really admire mm-hmm. it. But there's a bit of me, I'm kind of sad that that's... Does now seem to be everybody's meet cute story. I met yeah. on, you know, I've, I don't know. I, How I, did people used to meet? Yeah, <laughs> drunk in the pub. Yeah, drunk. <laughs> I mean, you know, people used to have fantastic coincidences. I know a girl who got off a, a bus two stops short to go to a Sainsbury's, the Sainsbury's was closed. There was a guy standing out who said, Well, I could take you to dinner. And she said, What's your name? And he said, John. And she, said, oh, and she was thinking, A clairvoyant told me two years ago if John asked you to dinner. to go out with him and now they're married. You know, that that doesn't happen anymore. I think it does. I think 50-50 between my friends
4: of meeting in real life and meeting online, because I still have friends who, um, my friend's sister met her boyfriend when they shared a cab during a tube strike. That's That's cute. That's an in real life story. And then there are people who, you know, they, they log on, they meet someone, they kind of dip in and out. They don't stop trying to meet people in real life.
2: It's just sort of a project on yeah. the side i do also think it has blown up that whole thing of people always thinking there's something else yeah. you know there's always another option to swipe yes. right i think people forever perpetually keep their options open now rather than invest yes in the person in front of them
4: and i think it does facilitate the type of person who is going to mess you around as well because they can they can do that thing where they go hey they just send endless emails they have no intention of meeting up with you I had this. I was like, dude, I don't want a pen pal. Are we actually going to go for a drink or not? Um, But then there are, you know, you've got to filter through. It's like real life. If you go into a pub and there's 50 guys or girls
2: in there, you're probably going to be attracted to a small percentage of them. So after a long period of singledom, how did you meet your significant other?
3: Um... I work with them so right. through work um, see
2: that's what happens with actors as well it? you know all these gorgeous looking people thrown together for months at a time
3: so that yeah that's the, that's yeah. That's the, the, great, the great and the bad thing is that you <laughs> the, you, you, yeah. you meet lots of beautiful people but then you you know there are, sometimes relationships don't last as long but I think um, if you find the right person then 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 it could last
2: well mm.
0: goosebumps all round yeah I wish you luck with that Douglas thank you very much <laughs> To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
2: Online dating, we think it's, you know, sometimes good and sometimes bad. We've really, really (laughs) sewed up that whole package. It's the law now. Do what you want, people. Next up, we're going to talk about crying, Douglas. Is it okay to schedule a cry? I've heard that this is a thing.
3: I think it's really good um, to be able to cry, and I think it's really important for guys for actors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But
2: also Underband. just yeah,
3: But yeah, <laughs> for, for no, but just in real life, I think it's really important for guys uh, to to grow up knowing that it is totally okay to cry. I think it's here, here. we're entering a new wave um, of uh, masculinity and what is and gender equality, which I think is really important. Um, I've never scheduled a cry. But I think maybe, maybe that is a good idea. I think being in touch with your emotions and not bottling things up is really important and will sort of uh, lead us to a much happier, safer, fairer world.
2: I think my scheduling a cry is scheduling a kickboxing session. That's how I get yeah. it out. Yeah. Or crying
3: through pain or crying yeah, through… or just, just,
2: just the adrenaline and exertion yeah. of that uh, uh, when I can't think about anything else and I sort of like tend to channel frustration that way. I, I don't like crying. No. So I'm not going to plan it. I don't know how I would plan it. No. Are you, are
3: you, you really actually actively don't like crying? No,
2: I don't, because... The I'm re- like that with
3: vomiting. Oh, I, yeah.
2: Oh, vomiting. I, 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 I never I, I, schedule I haven't vomed in
3: years. Like I, I really uh,
2: hate when it. When you get migraines as much as I do, you just... You have to make your peace with it. Yeah. But um, but I it's... You know, it's just... It's always associated with extreme... I only cry if I am incredibly sad or... The other thing that's really frustrating for me is it's a it's a symptom, a physical symptom of extreme anger. So if I'm in a situation where I've, I've run out of ways to express myself in a rage, it comes out my eyes. And that's really embarrassing because it tends to happen at moments when you're trying to be powerful in yeah. some way. So I associate it with, I've got no problem with, I'm not down on it as an emotion, but mm. it's not an enjoyable one at all for me. I'm just not much of a crier.
4: Yeah. I'm kind of a stoic northerner no um I just, <laughs> I just don't cry that much so the idea of scheduling a time it'd be more like it would just burst out at exactly. a moment that i don't really want it to yeah but on the note of scheduling a cry um from office chat this is actually a thing especially when hungover. apparently to sort of cry through the misery and to get through the other side but also from our website glamour.com we have a gallery of sad movies, mm-hmm. which has got about 50 or 60 different films in there. And What kind of
3: things do, would we see in these films?
4: Um, so it could be, oh, God, anything
2: that makes you emotional, anything with a sad ending, or, okay. uh, you know, it
4: could be Schindler's List.
2: Or I, it, I can't yeah. get through describing the plot of um, Inside Out, the Pixar animation, well, without crying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Marley Mar- and me, yeah. that
4: sort yeah. of thing. And every weekend on a Saturday and Sunday that gallery is one of the top performing things on our website, which leads me to believe that a lot of people are looking for something to sort of get them going and
2: maybe they're they're ready to feel a bit sad oh glamour gang come on let, <laughs> let, let's let's channel that energy into you know finding a laugh on the internet yeah just look at the wheels baby with the bbc but and i just, guess if you're in the right mood sometimes just seeing a, a lovely little kitten might make you weep
4: a bit as well
3: the is, I, I don't tie crying to sadness necessarily right. i mean of course that is a result of sadness but i think crying for me I mean is is being in touch with your emotions whether it be you know, whether you're feeling compassionate or whether you're feeling dis- frustrated or distraught about something. Sadness is more of a mute feeling for me. Do you know what I mean? You, I, I, rarely, I rarely cry because I'm sad. Right. I, I cry because I feel. Do you know I, what I mean? Which, is that, which for me feels more like an alive, but I wonder, feeling alive. Like it's an alive emotion. I feel like switched on emotionally, which is makes me feel sort of and that's, connected. And it's
2: so interesting you saying that because you're absolutely right. We are entering sort of like a new phase of the way gender is defined in masculinity and femininity and I think historically for so long women crying it does feel like a loss of your power in a lot of ways whereas perhaps it's changing for men where it feels like it's a it's a more empowering thing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we're all completely messed up by (laughs) gender roles and stereotypes but hopefully
3: someone will meet in the middle in a happy
2: in a happy sort of we'll have a group okay so for those people who want to schedule a crime we're totally down with that give us some acting tips what what if you need to cry, what do you do? Oh, God.
3: It, people do people work in very different ways you know like I work with Jennifer Connolly where she you know she's sort of she's she's had headphones in so I presume she's listening to music and looking at pictures of her kids and saying which I imagine instantly takes her to a certain place um some people <laughs> some people use statistics uh, but i I don't know it's all about for me just having to be present in the moment and as long as you look present in the moment of whatever you're doing and in your character hopefully you you'll get to that emotional peak and it's also it's also understanding that crying isn't the peak of of an emotion in a scene if you go well I won't I'm not I'm not convincing this I'm not conveying this emotion unless I get there and I cry and actually your quest to try and cry undermines what you're actually trying to achieve and if you actually just play the truth of the scene wow then you will eventually get there if it's right and if it's not then actually maybe it's more powerful the most powerful thing in actually if you watch a movie often is when people are trying not to cry yes and not yeah. the actual tears it's like someone that's trying to hold that in that actually is that is a more emotive for an audience member i think
2: hmm. interesting if i'm going to schedule a cry helen i might just get you to punch me in the face later today. <laughs> that's, that's all i can think of to yeah. make it happen can we clear it with hr first yeah. <laughs> If you're enjoying Glamour, Hey, It's Okay, and thank you, we know that so many more of you do each week, then please do stop by and subscribe on iTunes. It's free. It costs you naught. It gives so much. And if you leave a review, we may reward you with a little shout-out on this podcast and even a little present. Um, we are absolutely loving reading your reviews, so please keep them coming in. Emily XX. Couldn't love you more for the new catchphrase for the office. She says, I love, love, love the podcast. No topic is too trivial or too big for the glamour gang to tackle. And an episode is guaranteed to have me in stitches at one point or another. Does it make you crazy if you engage in heated discussions with your car audio system? Absolutely not. I've been there. I definitely have a deep love for James. Wait for it. The pod cupboard stud too, as do so many of the listeners. And don't worry, everybody. I'm getting tea towels, mugs, t-shirts, the lot made with pod cupboard stud on it. Ready for you. Thank you so much for your comment. And if you could possibly just email in to hey, glamour, hey, it's okay at Uk. then, Emily, we will get you at your prize. Get ready to solve this one for me. Is it okay to never really feel like a grown-up? I'm going to say yes. yes. End of discussion. Yes. No. <laughs> I agree. Do you ever really feel like a grown-up? Okay. Well, let's let's do our ages. Douglas, 24? 24.
3: 24.
2: Helen? 36. 47. Oh, my God. So, um... No, I still don't feel like a grown-up and nothing is guaranteed to make you feel less of a grown-up than when you've got a little person looking at you, expecting you to make grown-up important decisions and then you really know how much you don't know about anything.
4: I agree. My (laughs) child is 13 months old and I thought, oh, having a baby, that's a real grown-up moment. And you just realise your own parents were totally winging it every time you thought, everything's going to be fine because mummy's here or daddy's here. And now you have to convey that same sense of security and safety to them whilst thinking oh my god I hope this is gonna be okay in (laughs) the end so if we don't feel like a
3: grown-up
2: how do you feel Douglas I
3: know it's that thing when you you grow up and you're right you you think that everything stops with your parents you think they must be that they they must know everything and then you get that age where you suddenly think actually they don't know everything (laughs) I know more than you my dad's
2: just a dude making (laughs) it up as he goes along yeah (laughs) yeah
3: um so yeah I, I I've I've, but I do feel that having, you know, being 24 now and just sort of come into my mid 20s, that I have grown up a lot. And I think there there is something to be said about sort of figuring out who you are in, into that, in, into your sort of early adulthood and sort of finding like a stability and, and finding yourself and a grounding and, and a life for yourself. Because um, t- the teenage years and your, being a child and teenage years are so sort of all over the place. But when you finally do find that kind of bit of stability, I think it creates a great platform to then blossom. And I imagine from here on out, you, it, it, nothing really much will change I, I'm still going to want to be doing all the things that I'm doing now
2: but you must have matured in so many ways probably differently to Helen and I we have the same sort of peer group that we came through our careers and you know you were what 18 and working with Donald Sutherland and people like that so yeah you've always been exposed to different generations probably in a way yeah I, start, I
3: started working when I was 16 you know yeah. I, I remember when I was 16 being out in Budapest like everyone else was at school and I was in Budapest sort of I remember drinking a double vodka on the rocks in a Budapest bar with Eddie Redmayne, Hayley Atwell and like Rufus Saul. Um, And, and just, and they were like, just like, who's this 16 year old? Um, But no, so uh, yeah, I had to grow up a little, uh, a little quickly, but um, it, it, it's been, it was sad to kind of miss out on certain things from school, but also really nice. I got to learn from other people, you know, you get to work with, you know, amazing actors and learn from great people. My first job was with Maggie Smith and Timothy Spall when I was 16. And, um, to, to work with Stephen Karam on this yeah. play, who's a Tony Award-winning writer, and to sit down and do table work with him—it's like being going to the most amazing university of life, or learning to be a blacksmith on Great Expectations, and going yeah. to a forge and doing that. So, um, but yeah, I think I—I I, I, I think I'm probably always going to be a child. But um,
2: me too. But I yeah. mean, you know, obviously it's great to have a child to take to things like a Little Mix concert or a Taylor Swift concert or whatever, but I'm loving it. I'm so excited to be there. And I d- is that all right? It's yeah. all right, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you're not going to be this surly person
4: just sitting at the front and kind of, I mean, at least you're actually enjoying it. And I, My and poor dad had to take me to see Jason Donovan when I
0: was seven.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, and at least I'm not that old dude who was at... Taylor Swift, just to- I could see talking to lots of young girls and them just sort of like sliding away. Was he not there with a child? No. And oh. So my friend Lorraine and I were like, we better keep our eye on that one. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so I'm not that person. But you know, there's lots of childish things that I still really like doing. But I think that's,
4: that's not, not being a grown-up, I think you don't have the joy sapped out of you as
2: you that's get older,
4: point. and I don't think you should have the joy sapped out of you as you get older. I think but I think that's that's the
2: youthful image of being a grown-up. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> but what is so what is yeah. the
3: de- what what is the definition of being a grown-up? What 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 defines being grown-up? What I does think, that even mean?
2: I think it's actually just accepting that you are a bit crap
4: <laughs> as opposed to trying to fight against it. And just I, I you
2: know I remember things like um lying in bed the first time I took my baby girl home and hearing her crying and I think I must have been dreaming that I was on an airplane and I remember half asleep thinking oh man I wish someone had shut that baby up <laughs> and then I remembered it was my baby and I had to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do it it's moments like that years. you're like oh my god this is for real I'm a proper adult now but um I couldn't believe they let us go home
4: from the hospital without anyone stopping us going out the door with the yeah. baby
2: but I balance it with you know my my unironic love for Buffy the Vampire Slayer marathons exactly. and, you know yeah. it's like I don't know what's what's your sort of like most young at heart, kid at heart thing that you think that you enjoy? Oh, um,
3: I don't know, just still running around carelessly with my friends, you know, um, Big, lo- you can
2: have a legal drink now, so there's that. <coughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have a legal drink. You
3: can yeah, but no, I think just just I mean, I'm fortunate enough to kind of work part time, being an actor. So you work really intensely and then have months off. So yeah. I still sort of enjoy that feeling of that summer holiday in the summer if you have months off and just just carefree yeah. and run around and cycle everywhere and just drink beer in the park and play music from speakers and just get rowdy and have a you know. And that's like, it.
4: And you saying no, oh, when I was in Budapest when I was 16, and you might have missed out on things your friends were doing. They were drinking vodka, but just in a park with other people. You were with Rufus Sowell. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah, there was definitely
3: times where, where, where I've definitely done my fair share of drinking, like, own vodka from from a paper bag in the park
2: don't we all miss that glamour yeah Yeah. I remember doing that um, and this is one thing I don't miss from my youth is you know going to the cinema with my friends and sneaking in cans of ready mixed vodka and sort of like downing it all before we went into the film and thinking that that was like the most rock and roll grown up thing that we could do yeah I'm glad I've matured in some ways yeah Thank you very much for listening. I want to thank so much um, my wonderful guest today, Helen Whitaker. Goodbye. And Douglas Booth, thank you so much for being here. Thank you and so much. Writing all our wrongs. <laughs>
3: I don't know about that.
2: Cannot wait to come and see you in Speech and Debate. It is until April 1? 1st of April. Yes, April Falls Day. We will do nothing into that. Yeah. But uh, looking forward to seeing it. And there are discounts for students, as Douglas said, so look into that.